Let's take our Bibles and stand, please. Psalms chapter Psalm 51, Second Samuel chapter 12, and keep your finger in Psalms 51, Second Samuel chapter 12. We're so happy you're here tonight, and we're looking forward to the Lord just blessing our service this evening and uh, having the Lord's table following this. While you're turning, I'd like to ask you to be in prayer for a couple of our, of, uh, of our members. Desi, pray for uh, Brother AJ's mother, Shirley Taddy Arca. And Shirley is not, not feeling very well and had to run into emergency, so you'll be in prayer for her. And then also be in prayer today, if you would, for Mrs. Castro, for her mother, Mrs. Lopez. She had to have a procedure today, so Mrs. Castro had to pretty much spend the, the entire day with her to just comfort and be with her mother there. So you be in prayer for that. I know they greatly appreciate that. Look around you. We've got quite a few folks here tonight that may not have a Bible with them. They may be new to the church. I'd like to ask you to share your Bible with them to make sure that they're just with us and they follow along with the scriptures. We'll be mainly in Second Samuel 12, and then we'll look at Psalm 51 and Psalms 32. And we're just asking God to meet with us in a special way. Verse 7, please. Second Samuel 12, verse 7. Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy mother, thy master's house, and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have moreover given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thy house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. And thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thy own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said unto David, The Lord has also put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Go with me to Psalms 51 for just a moment, if you have your finger there. Psalms 51. <clears throat> Psalms 51. I want you to notice verses 1 and 2 for just a moment. I'd like you to just keep your finger there tonight. Psalms 51. David prayed this prayer in between these verses here. It was such an important prayer. The Holy Spirit decided to record it for us as part of inspired scripture. He said, have mercy upon me, O God. Notice he's not praying for someone else. He's praying for himself. A lot of our prayers we pray are for things. We don't need things. We need God. We need God. No matter what your devotions were this morning, you need you and I need God more right now than we need him when we woke up this morning. He said, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Notice that phrase. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And notice the next phrase, and cleanse me from my sin. I didn't tell Brother Denny when I'm preaching tonight, but Brother Denny, as he got to the offering, he talked about his devotions. You read through the book of Leviticus, that was written during the time after the construction of the tabernacle. Wonderful book. To understand Leviticus, you understand the rest of the Bible. He talked about cleansing. And David said here, not my mother, not my brother, but me, O oh Lord. He said, cleanse me. And I'll preach you just a message tonight, just to the Lord, just as we go through our series this, this year on believing. I believe in cleansing. I believe we need cleansing. I believe I need cleansing today. We're asking God just to meet with us tonight and just help us to recognize who we are in the presence of God and that he might help us tonight. Father, this evening, we thank you for a wonderful day and uh, thank you for the wall signing in our mind, as we were signing on the wall, my mind kind of drifted back to Scripture a little bit of the finger of God in the affairs of man. The finger of God on the stone in which the Ten Commandments were written. The finger of God upon the stucco wall when Belshazzar, the king, done some terrible, terrible things. And God wrote that message on the wall to him. I think about the writing in the sand when Jesus wrote and stooped down in the sand and he started writing the sins and iniquities of those men who had a stone in their hand. 
And Father, this morning, this evening, I'm reminded that you want to write your laws and commandments in our heart. Lord, this evening, we pray for our heart. The Bible says that we are to keep our heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And David, in this psalm here, he said, create me a clean heart. And Father, we realize today that if we try to judge ourselves, the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. And we ask this evening that you just give us a tender heart, a teachable spirit, a spirit of meekness, whereby we may receive the engrafted word, which is able to save souls. And tonight, as we think about all the things we believe in, we do believe in the importance of cleansing, importance of forgiveness, importance of what we see here tonight in Second Samuel 12 to help us in our walk and our faith with God. Meet with us tonight. Come down upon 2960 Merced Street and this Heritage Center, which God, you gave us, which Lord, you provide as a meeting place. Lord, a place where souls have been saved, but I also pray to be a place where God, God's people recognize this is not a playroom. This is, this is a room where God meets with his people. And tonight, cleanse us this evening. Work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I think all of you know that we, as we get a little bit older, we recognize that our bodies get filled up with toxins. There's environmental toxins. There's food toxins. All of us are kind of, I think, for most part, I think most people in the church are pretty cognizant of, of foods with preservatives and foods that are not good for you and, you know, organic versus non-organic. And, you know, I think we get a little bit fearful at times about, you know, buying vegetables and fruits that have, that have been sprayed with pesticides. And so we look for organic. And if someone in church has organic trees, we're anxious to receive those things like the organic avocados and organic a- a- apples and things like that there. And some, maybe, maybe people here in this room, maybe you, you have a, a, a process whereby that every now and then you do a detox of your body to make sure that you're cleansing your body from toxins. And I think that's a good thing. I think fasting is one of the ways God has given to us biblically that fasting is given to us to have a period of, of, of cleansing. I think just having an adequate amount of hydration and water in your system and clean water and sometimes salt water is a good way of purging and cleansing out your system. And sometimes, as, as some of the ladies in our church do, they, they'll take a lemons and, and put it inside of a jar with hot water and they'll drink that as a method, method for cleansing and to cleanse out their body of acidity and things like that. And there's nothing wrong with all those things. These are good things and those are not old wise remedies. And I think we recognize that we want to be healthy and we want to be well and we want to have good energy and things like that there's a there's a place for i guess for nothing better for body cleansing on that some people even go to the place where they do skin cleansing realizing that all the toxins that get on their skin and whatever it may be you know those are all good things and i'm thankful i'm thankful tonight that if we can feel better and and be more healthy for organ cleansing but i want to tell you more important than organ cleansing soul cleansing we need soul cleansing. We need every now and then we've got to, in fact, on a daily basis, we need to come before the Lord of heaven and ask God to search our heart and recognize the importance of cleansing. And we're looking at a passage of scripture tonight that deals with the matter and the importance of soul cleansing. We're looking at this passage that followed from several weeks ago in our study through Second Samuel, how David sinned greatly against God. His sin found him out. And we're finding here that not so much the emphasis on the sin as much as we the emphasis on forgiveness and cleansing. You might know tonight as we go into our study this evening, as we look at David, we see a man who was a sinner, but a man who was also salvaged. We see a man who failed, but a man who also found forgiveness. We see a man who was corrupt in his dealings, but he was a man cleansed from his defilement. And as we read through Second Samuel, I can't help but think there's so many, many wonderful, rich Bible themes and topics that we can draw from in this passage of Scripture. And as we correlate it with other, other chapters like Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, there's so many things. Tonight, just one topic we want to look at this evening. We want to look at how David found cleansing from the Lord. This cleansing of his soul and his heart, he found it in a way that never touched him like it did at this particular time. And it's been my prayer this week that God will work in our hearts about this matter of recognizing poor of having a private time with God and seeking his cleansing. David is at a very, very tough spot in his life. He's, at a, he's in a dark moment of his life, but he finds God's mercies in abundance and his mercies available. Notice five things very quickly tonight because we have the Lord's table. But notice quickly tonight five things we learn from 2 Samuel 12 that will help our Christian life. Notice first, we're going back to chapter 11 and verse 27, which you notice we see a private concealment. The Bible tells in verse 27 of chapter 11, the preceding chapters, we get into chapter 12. It says, and when the morning was passed, that is the crying and sorrow. When the morning was passed, David sent and fetched her to be to his house and she became his wife and bare him a son. 
But the thing that David had done had displeased the Lord. David was living with private sin. As we go from chapter 11, verse 27, over to chapter 12, when Nathan finds out David's sin, when he, just, when he reveals him what he's done, David has lived for maybe eight and a half, almost nine months, maybe even nine months, with a private concealment of his sin. While the men of war, as we read in 2 Samuel 11 last time we were in this, while the men of war were out fighting the Ammonites, David purposely stayed behind. When king should go to battle, he stayed behind. He lost focus of his priorities. David had got himself into a very scandalous, awful situation. He committed a moral failure. He had commissioned the death of a soldier and one of his mighty men and the husband of a woman he was involved with. After a period of mourning, he takes her to be his wife. David, on the, on the outside, if you notice verses 26 and 27, he, he's, he's trying to feign a gesture of sympathy for a widow, but inwardly he's covering up what he's done. David has, has broken a minimum of three out of the ten commandments there. And we'll see even several more things in that. And he's committed at least six to seven different sins in what he's done here in chapter 11. And it's one of the dark chapters of all the scriptures. We look at a man's self and his man's sin. And David, as we go into chapter 12, he's adding one sin after another to cover up his tracks. David is covering up his sins. Here's what the Bible tells us tonight about the covering up of sins. In Proverbs 28, verse 13, He that covers his sins shall not prosper. Isaiah 29, verse 15 says, Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord, and their works are in the dark, and they say, Who seeth us and who knoweth us? We see the sinful nature within us when something gross has happened, something terrible has happened in our life, and even could be considered a public sin, as 1 Corinthians 5 would say. The sinful nature within us wants to cover it up. It wants to conceal it. And David is in this private, this period of private concealment. Genesis 3.8 says that at the first mention of the concealment of sin, it tells us about Adam and Eve. It says, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. They recognized as their eyes were open that they had sinned against the Lord. They crossed a forbidden line. They had missed the mark. They recognized that they had broken the law and they were depraved. And thereby, the Bible tells us in Genesis 3.8 that they sought to hide from their sin. Joshua 7.21, a very familiar passage. We read about a man here by the name of Achan, where, where uh, he was confronted about something he did that was not right. He disobeyed the law of God and taking what was called the accursed thing from, from the city of Jericho. In Joshua 7.21, it says, When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and I took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. A scientist went one day took a mouse and put the mouse inside of a glass cage in a glass container. Inside that glass container was much sawdust that he had put in. He had put a venomous snake, a rattlesnake actually for that matter inside that inside of that glass cage and that glass tank and it covered up that rattlesnake with, with all the sawdust. The mouse, as he put the mouse in, the mouse knew from its instinct that there was a predator inside that glass cage and the mouse was very panicking. He was watching, he observed it and the mouse started to move its back feet and started to push the, the sawdust to try to cover up the, the, the snake even more so, thinking that that would take care of the problem. And it just kept frantically, just kept moving back and forth, moving its paws to cover up the snake. And the man watches because he knew that within a matter of time, the snake would just kind of move itself stealthily and make its way and snatch the mouse to take it. And before the predator could do such a thing, the man, the scientist, reached back inside the glass cage. He put his hand inside, not close enough so the snake could bite him, but close enough that he got in, that he snatched the mouse and pulled it out. And the man brought, brought an interesting observation. He recognized that covering the, the mouse thought by covering up the snake that would cover up the problem. But the reality of it is, covering up the snake would not take care of the problem. The only way the mouse could be saved is by removing the mouse from the situation. By taking the mouse from the inside where the trouble was, on the outside where there would not be trouble. Now I remind you tonight that no matter who we are, no matter who we think we may be, whether we're presidents or congressmen or religious leaders, no matter who we may be, we may be pastors, we may be evangelists, we may be missionaries, we may be Sunday school teachers, we may be businessmen, we may be non-businessmen, we may be housewives, no matter who we are, what we think we are, may I remind you tonight, we must be very, very careful of this matter of private concealment. Sin is the 
same with God. The Bible tells us in Numbers chapter 32, be sure your sin will find you out. David in verse chapter 11, verse 27 has a private concealment. But notice quickly in chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, David now has a personal confrontation. David's thinking one month has gone by, two months has gone by, three months has gone by. And I'll be honest with you, I think David is starting to, his conscience is starting to feel a little bit alleviated. Because even though there were people that knew what was going on, David pretended like he didn't know what was going on. I mean, people knew what was going on. I mean, Bathsheba knew what was going on. Uh, Bathsheba's servants knew what was going on. Uh, Joab knew what was going on. His servants inside his palace, who he commissioned back and forth and watched as he brought her in, they knew what was going on. A scandal event had occurred, but nobody was courageous enough to blow the whistle and to announce that David had done such a thing. But David got to the place where he just thought, well, you know what? Nobody really cares about this matter. And as time went along, his conscience felt alleviated there. When I was about eight or nine years old, I was was playing with one of my uncles at my my, my father's house back on 19th Avenue by by Highland Hospital. And I remember when you went in those homes, the way they were built back in that time, you'd walk into this heavy, heavy front door. And as many as you come in, the only way you could turn would be to turn right. You go right into the living room and then right after that immediately left, you go into what could be a family room or dining room. And that little living room that we had, I remember there that there was a there was a fireplace there that we never used and there was this glass mantle case that was kind of built into the home and and on the mantel there, there were pictures that my mom and dad had put there. And they put these numerous pictures there. And one of the pictures they had was a picture of my sister when she was just a, a very, probably just a, maybe about a year old or so. And they had embedded this picture inside of a porcelain plate there. It was a very nice thing. And a colorful picture of my sister Eva was on this, on this porcelain plate. And it was right there. You couldn't miss it on the mantel there. And so my uncle was standing against the, uh, over against the, the, uh, the chair there. And I took a rubber baseball and we just started throwing the baseball at each other. And you know, it's a rubber baseball. I didn't think it would hurt anything. And we started throwing it. And then he got kind of playful when he threw it and hit me real hard. You know how that is. They threw it real hard and it hit me and kind of bounced off my chest there. And of course, as an eight-year-old, I didn't take that very well. And I grabbed that ball and I wound it up and I just threw it back at him. And, and then he caught it and then he threw it back at me. Well, the next time, about the third or fourth time, I wound the thing up and I threw it, but it was a wild pitch. Ever throw a wild pitch? And the wild pitch didn't hit my uncle. It didn't hit any furniture. It happened to hit the porcelain plate with my sister's picture on it, okay? And here's the porcelain plate. The porcelain plate, it goes crash against the wall, crash back forward, and my uncle sees it and he says, oh man, that's, a, that's, that's your sister's picture. He tried to grab it but before he did, it crashed and hit something and it broke in, in, in a few pieces there. Needless to say, I was very panicky and I thought the first thing I thought was death penalty. My dad is going to kill me. Dad is a butcher. Dad had a temper back in his 30s there. I thought, dad is going to kill me there. And uh, I can still remember as a little boy looking in my father's eyes when I did something that was not right and he looked at me and I thought, death penalty right now, you know? And so the, the, the picture fell and it broke there and my uncle said, you're in it now. Now, you're going to get it right now. And my uncle walked away. I said, man, you're my uncle. You got to help me out here. Amen. You know, and he walked, he walked away there. So immediately, what do I do? I go into, I go into, uh, uh, you know, restoration mode. And I quickly went to look for some Elmer's glue. Ever use Elmer's glue? Amen. And they hadn't invented crazy glue back in those days. And I went to get some Elmer's glue and I started to try to piece everything together with the Elmer's glue. I'll be honest with you. I thought I did a pretty good job. It looked like I'd restored the thing and fixed it up there. And I put it against the wall. Well, there, well, I put it back there and it just was there and it was kind of holding together by the Elmer's glue. Except my uncle thought, that's not right. You, he said, you're trying to cover up what you're doing. And so my uncle went on and one day he told my dad what happened. My dad didn't tell me he knew about it. But my dad didn't approach. He went to mom and says, mom, he says, I think it's a good time for us to do spring cleaning right now. And he says, I think a good place to start is in the living room. And mom starts cleaning up. Within an hour, she finds out this picture's broken. And uh, needless to say, she tells my dad, and they both come to me, and I was confronted. Thank God the death penalty didn't happen, but pretty something pretty close to that happened. Amen, you know? And, uh, you know, I think as I, as I give this story today, I'm reminded here about David. David has a personal confrontation with the prophet Nathan. Like everyone, uh, like everyone who tries to cover up sin, David was living in a spirit of delusion. He thought he could cover up what he had done here. Notice, if you would, a couple of things about about chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. First of all, notice in verses 1 to 6, we see as this, in this confrontation, the prophet Nathan comes to him, but Nathan comes to him with a colorful analogy. Nathan comes to him and uses a picture, he uses a parable to speak to David's heart. He knows how David is. And I'll be honest with you, I think, I really believe Nathan loved David. I really believe that he was, he loved David and he was there at critical moments in David's life. And I'll be honest with you, I think Nathan probably felt some, a little bit uncomfortable about going to David about this matter because the Lord had told Nathan what was going on and Nathan had been praying about this matter and God, God just impressed his heart. You gotta go to him, you gotta confront him, you gotta talk to him. And so Nathan, it was given inspiration 
inspiration by God. And he comes in with this idea, of a, with this personal analogy, this colorful analogy. And if you would, I'd like you to go to verse 1 with me. Let's read verses 1 to 6, that we might have an idea of how this analogy worked in David's heart. Verse 1 says, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him, and he said to him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. Now remember, he's appealing to the mind of David, who is a judge also, because he judged the affairs of men. And he said, The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, and the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. I mean, this is a very touching, intimate story, analogy and parable that this the prophet Nathan is weaving together to just trying to appeal to David's heart out of love that he might seek God's mercy. But David doesn't recognize what's going on. He's thinking Nathan is bringing him a real situation, a real case involving someone who had, where an injustice had occurred. And he says in verse 4 something interesting. You want to circle the word traveler because I'm going to come back to it in a minute. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man. Now, the traveler and wayfaring man are the same man. I've heard some preachers say it's two different men. It's not two different men. It's one man. There was it came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him. But he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. Now, notice the story here. You've got this touching story. You've got a rich man who's got more than enough. You've got a poor man, and the poor man, the most precious thing to him, materially speaking, was his one little ewe lamb. This one little ewe lamb, he held it close to his bosom. He fed it. The Bible says the analogy he gives, he treated like his own daughter, and he was like as a family member. You know, you, you know, you know how it is. You get attached to animals. You're not very careful. You feel like they're a family member there, you know. And so he felt like this was a family member and very touching. And then he, he adds some spice to the story. And he says, here's what happens. One day this traveler came. This man that came, a stranger, a wayfaring man. And the traveler and wayfaring man, just as a thought to you tonight, is a picture of when sin comes into our life. When sin comes in, sin comes very subtly. It comes as a wayfaring man. It comes at a time unbeknownst to us. And this wayfaring man comes. And so this this rich man wants to impress him and the rich man wants to prepare a meal for him. And he's thinking, I'm not going to take something of my own. I'm going to take something from someone else. And he goes rudely to this poor man's house and take this poor man's rich, this little Yui lamb. And he kills this little poor Yui lamb and serves it as lamb chops and lamb stew and so forth to this man. And notice David's reaction to this. David was very, very incensed and angry at what had happened. As far as David was concerned, this was an injustice that occurred here. This was a terrible thing. Through this story, David is filled with outrage because of a merciless disadvantage that this man did against this man with the Yui lamb. And the Bible says David's anger was kindled greatly against this man. And he said to Nathan, I mean, before Nathan could finish the story, he stops. He says, as the Lord liveth, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. I mean, David is filled with such righteous indignation. He says, how dare that rich man take that poor man's Yui lamb and take advantage of that man and do such a thing. And he would kill it and he'd eat it. And he would just, he would do such a thing that man. And he's angry. And David not only gets angry, David is now on on a justice mode, notice verse eight, and he said, uh, uh, verse nine, uh, excuse me, verse verse uh, verse six, and he says, he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. David was confronted through a personal analogy. Nathan now has gotten David to where, and now again, bear in mind, it's about nine months, eight and a half, nine months has gone by. And David's conscience had just kind of been alleviated that he hadn't been caught. Nobody knew about what he did or nobody was going to say anything about what it. And David just thought in his mind, I'm going to get away with it. This is going to be this. I made it. I've made it this far. Nobody said anything. Not, nothing's going to come out. And now now Nathan comes with this colorful analogy and pierces the conscience of David. He touches David in his soul. And David is filled with outrage and he's filled with anger and he's incensed about what's going on there. And David now has been touched in a way that he says, this man is done such a terrible thing, he needs to pay for what's going on. You see, we're reminded today about sin. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verses 13 to 16, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. When James wrote that, I thought about as James wrote that, I wonder if the story of David came into James' mind here in James chapter 1, as he thought about every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. 
lust and he's enticed and drawn away of his own lust. The traveler comes. The wayfaring man comes. Sin finds its way suddenly into our lives. Sin appeals to us from what we hear. Sin appeals to us from what we see. And all of a sudden we cross the forbidden line. And all of a sudden we, 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 we miss the mark where we should be. And we show the, we show the nature, our depraved nature. The Bible says every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then in verse 15, when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. <coughs> James, in warning the brethren there, it says, Do not err, my, my, my beloved brethren. And David now is incensed because as far as he's concerned, a rich man is sin. A man of power is sin. He's taking advantage of someone else. And David not realizing that he's just he's pronounced judgment on this rich man. David doesn't realize he's pronouncing judgment on himself. And notice this colorful analogy now goes down in verse 7 to where we see a convicting accusation. David in verse 6 says, And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing, because he had no pity. I mean, you can imagine the, the steam coming off of David's head. You can imagine the anger and, and the tenor of his voice. You can imagine the, the, the rage that was in his face that such a thing would happen. And David was thinking... How dare this rich man do such a thing? How dare this rich man commit such a such a deed? How could he do something so dastardly, so wicked like that? And then, as David did that, notice Nathan, this convicting accusation. David said to Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. He said, David, the very man you're talking about, you're thinking, you're upset about, you're the man. It's you, David. You're the man. You're the rich man that took a poor man's little Yui lamb out of his bosom and you killed it and fed the wayfaring man. David, look in the mirror. Thou art the man. This is where it gets personal. This is where we get hot under the collar. This is where we blush and turn red in the face. This is where we realize sin has found us out. Listen, Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. When Adam's sin found him out, God came to him and says, What hast thou done? And God said, Thou art the man. When Cain got angry with God because his sacrifice was not accepted, God said to him, If thou doest well, thou shalt be accepted. But if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. He said, Cain, thou art the man. Judah was found out his sin. His accuser said, Discern, I pray thee, whose these are, the sinyet and the bracelets and the staff. Hey, Judah, thou art the man. Saul partially obeyed the Lord and Samuel came to him. Samuel said, What meaneth the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen? He said, He said, Saul, thou art the man. Peter, there the night when Jesus was being accused and taken, day, day Peter is outside by the fire, warming his hands at the fire with those who were against him. They found him out. And the third time he denied the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he said. I know not the man. And the Bible says immediately the cock crew. Listen, when Jesus turned and looked at Peter and their eyes caught up each other, it was like Jesus was saying to Peter, thou art the man. Ananias and Sapphira thought they could hide their offering from the Lord. And they thought they could, they, nobody would know. They sold a piece of land, but they had no intention of giving the whole offering. They gave it. They feigned that they were going to give some. They feigned. They told everybody, we're going to match what Barnabas did. And we're going to piece, sell a piece of land that exceeds what Barnabas did. But they had no intention of giving the whole thing. They just wanted the acknowledgement. They just wanted the recognition. They wanted to know that they were a good, good philanthropist and giver there. But listen, Peter came to them. And when Peter did so, he's made the statement, Why has Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? He said, Ananias, thou art the man. David kept his sin private for many months. But eventually the time came when God found out his sin. And God sends Nathan to him with a parable that drew out of David a sympathy. And drew out of David a concern. But as he did so, it also drew a rage out of David. And David, he said, this man shall pay fourfold. David was found out in his sin. Notice in verses 8 to 12. Now Nathan is speaking to him. And he pronounces what God told him to tell him. In verses 8 to 12 of the judgment of God upon his life. And he tells him exactly what he did. He told him how he had given him everything that he could have ever wanted. He said, I've given you the kingdom. I've given you Israel. And I've given you Judah. And I've given you wives. And I've given you a home. And he said, if all that had been too little, I would have given you more. He said, David, why did you do such a thing? He says, you've despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight. He said, you've killed Uriah the Hittite. And he's telling him, you've committed murder. You've killed Uriah the Hittite. And you've taken his wife to be thy wife. And he says, now therefore the sword shall never depart from thy house. Because thou hast despised me and has taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Notice in verse 9, when God tells him he's despised the commandment of the Lord, would you consider me just for a moment all the things that David did there that sometimes we tend to forget because we were more concerned in our nature to cover up instead of expose? There was the misuse of his authority. 
There was unthankfulness. That's what God's telling me, the very first word. There was conspiracy. He got other people to conspire with him for the death of Uriah. There was murder. There was adultery. He lied. There was a false witness. There was concealment. There was self-deception. There was self-righteousness. He became a stumbling block to weaker consciences. He was a man that was filled with hypocrisy. He acted like he had not done nothing wrong when he said that that man shall pay fourfold. And yet as God accosted him and told him, he said, thou art the man. We see a personal confrontation. Oh, listen, tonight, before we even go on, I wonder tonight if God, maybe, maybe this evening, is going to bring something to our life that maybe we have forgotten about, some sin that needs to be confessed. And I remind you, all sin is sin with God. There are not good sins and bad sins. All sins are sins before God. And we must remind ourselves, your God does not take the matter of sin very lightly. Listen, sin sent Jesus Christ to the cross to die for our sin. Sin is evil. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin, the Bible tells us, there are the wages of sin. There's a consequence of it. David, David now has been confronted by Nathan and Nathan has told him, you are the man. We see David now has a personal confrontation. Notice in verse 13, the third thing tonight. First of all, we see David tonight has a private concealment. Second, we saw that David had a personal confrontation. But notice in verse 13, the question we have to ask ourselves is, what did David do with that? Would you notice verse 13, we see a penitent confession. In verses 8 to 12, I mean, he, he, I mean it's been unbundled to him. And he's told, thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing. He said, I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David knows he's been caught. David's under conviction. In fact, David's under such conviction. If you go back to the book of Psalms, go back with me to Psalms. Would you notice chapter 32 and a statement that David said at that moment of time because David had been caught. In Psalms 32, David said in verse 3, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old throughout my, through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture turned into the drought of summer. Listen, David was a very miserable man for the next several ensuing days because God had confronted him about the fact he had sinned. He had sinned greatly. And as a man, he had abuses of responsibilities and authority. And he took took advantage of the situation. He said here, notice in verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, when you find that, you'll find maybe nine or ten times that this phrase is used by different people. David, for in fact, uses it at least three different times. Saul uses it one time. Balaam uses it another time. We find that we, we find that it's been many of those situations where someone has said, I have sinned. There was not a full confession. And many of those times where they made that statement, they were very, they were not contrite. They were not transparent about their sins. Go with me to Psalms 51 and visit with me David's confession for just a moment. Notice Psalms 51 verses 1 to 6. If you'll turn there with me. And I'd like to ask that we read this together. I'm going to read the odd number of verses. I'd like you to read the even number of verses. And we're going to read that from verses 1 to 6. Would you do that with me, please? Amen. In Psalms 51, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot up my transgression. Congregation, wash me. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Congregation. And be clear when thou judgest. Verse 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Congregation. Verse 6. I'll finish with verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Now you read these words. We read this confession and we read it slowly. Can you not catch the heart of David in this? David is just filled with remorse and contriteness and brokenness. Not because he was found out, but because he tried to hide it from God. And because his relationship with God had been severed. And he had many, many months of fruitlessness and nothing happened there. Would you notice some things about what David's saying here in verses 1 to 7? Notice he uses the word sin, which means to miss the mark, five different times in this chapter. Notice he uses the word <coughs> transgressions, which means to cross a forbidden line. He uses the word transgression a minimum of two times. 
Notice he uses the word iniquity, which when you read iniquity in the, in the Old and New Testament, it's a very, very strong word describing our sinful nature. In fact, the word iniquity could also be, uh, be translated the word depraved or depravity. And notice he uses the word iniquity a minimum of two times. What you notice is nine different times in this short little prayer. David refers to his sin. He calls it missing the mark. He calls it crossing a forbidden line. He calls it, uh, he calls reference to his depraved nature. I mean, David is filled with just incredible remorse about his life there. Listen to me tonight. Would you take some notes on this? Confession is not saying I have just sinned. Confession is calling every sin out by name. It is not confession. Just say, Lord, I sin. No, God wants us to confess what exactly it was that we did do. And as you read through Psalm 51, David calls out his sins just like it is. I mean, notice what he talks about here. You read a little bit later on, and he talks about in verse 14, about blood guiltiness. You know what he's talking about there? That he murdered a man. He's talking about here, about having a, a right spirit in verse 10. And he did have a right spirit. He's talking about the fact that he was defiled and dirty. He's talking about verse 8. He lost the joy and the gladness. He's talking about the fact that he had been a long time since he'd been broken in his heart there. I mean, you read the psalm and David is not, he's not covering things up. And David is not making light of what's going on. David is making a penitent confession. Confession is coming clean about what was, what wrong we've done. Confession is realizing you're standing in the holy presence of a holy and righteous God. And listen, worse than having offended Bathsheba, and worse than having offended Uriah, and worse than being a stumbling block to Joab, and worse than being a stumbling block to all the servants. Notice verse 4 what David said. If you can imagine David's heart right now, David is saying this with tears flowing down his face. And, and just he's, he's, he's shaking with remorse and shaking with conviction there in verse 4. And he says, against thee, thee. Thee only have I said. He says, God, you are, you are the breath of my life. He says, the heart panted up the broader brook. So panted my soul after thee. He says, you're my darling of Calvary. You're the one I love. He says, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. David knew he was living with unconfessed sin. Fiona Campbell is a woman that got her name recorded in the Guinness Book of World Records. Fiona Campbell is the only woman that could claim that she'd walked around the world. The moment she achieved that accomplishment and had walked around the world after many, many days, weeks and months. All the news reporters were there. The media was there. The reporters from Guinness Book of World Records were there. They took down her name. I mean, she was applauded. She was given accolades. She was made a celebrity. She was a heroine. I mean, all of these things went to her. She got endorsements and money and all of these things. But as soon as all that kind of died out, Fiona Campbell was filled with just, just an incredible amount of guilt inside of her heart because Fiona Campbell knew that she had not accomplished this in an honest way. It bothered her so much, she started to lose her sleep. She started to lose her appetite. She started to withdraw herself from social contact because she knew in her heart of hearts, as well as some people that conspired with her, she knew in her heart of hearts that she had cheated in her accomplishment and tried to walk around the world. And finally, she called up her sponsor and confessed fully to her sponsor that she had cheated by riding in a truck parts of the way so that she didn't have to walk. And they, they, they did this to her and she confessed that. Everyone was, that she told this to was in shock. And immediately the word spread out and word went to Kenneth's Book of World Records and she was extracted from that. And all these things, she lost her endorsements. I mean, I think of Lance Armstrong. When Lance Armstrong was found out from that, taking those, those steroids and he'd won all those races by cheating. Listen, think of what all the plummeting that man did. And yet, that Lance Armstrong never made a full confession about what he did there. And yet this woman, Fiona Campbell, she came clean and she made a confession. She says, listen, it doesn't matter I'm not a celebrity. It doesn't matter how people look at me. It doesn't matter about those things. What really matters is the fact I can't live with my conscience. I can't live with the fact that I cheated and did wrong and deceived people along the way there. Oh, listen, we see David with a penitent confession. But notice a fourth thing tonight. David, not only do we see with a penitent confession. David, we not only see with a personal confrontation. David, not only do we see with a private concealment. Notice David now is the recipient of a punitive chastening. Verses 14 to 23. Nathan's not finished with the message he gives to him. Please listen to me tonight. 
There's always payback for concealed sin. And please listen to me tonight. It's not just you and me that suffers. It's those closest to us that we put in harm's way because we were negligent in our actions. You'll indulge me tonight. Notice verse 14. Nathan said to him, he told him, verse 13, God forgives you. By the way, aren't you glad for forgiveness tonight? Amen. The Lord has put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. You think for just a minute. Can you imagine the Philistines and the Ammonites and the enemies of the Lord saying, You're a believer of God? And you did those kind of things? I can imagine that happening in our nation. But you're, you're glorifying the God of Israel. You did that kind of thing. And notice what, what, what he's saying. Because I think word got back to Nathan, what the enemies of the Lord were saying. You've given great occasion to enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. And notice what he said here, which shivers up my spine. <clears throat> the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. God had to chasten David. Chastening is part of God's method of correcting us, of growing us. Maturing us. In Hebrews chapter 12, notice verse 6 to 11. He says this, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto the children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Lord, the, the, whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father's spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but for our, he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness." Now, no chasing for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereof. When we read about this matter of chasing, do you understand something tonight? It's just like when we have to correct our children. It's an automatic part of the process. Hey, we, 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 we read in Ephesians 6, 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Do you know the word nurture? It's the same word we get our word chastening from. It's the same word we get our word discipline and correction from. God applies chasing in our lives to correct us. God uses chasing in our lives to realign us. God uses chasing in our lives to help us to see that there are these repeated sins, that these besetting sins that we won't let go of. And God puts chasing in our lives to correct us, to get us right. Why? Because God is a loving Father whom the Lord loveth, whom a Father loveth. He chases. God is a loving Father, has to chase us, to bring us in alignment with Him, to get our spirit right and our attitude right with God. And to get us to the place of realizing God more than anything else, especially when you read Hebrews chapter 12, God more than anything else wants us to be partakers of the holiness of God. And to partake of the holiness of God is to have a nearness to God and a closest like Him. And here we read about David here in this matter that David's told about this chastening and we read about here that David goes to prayer and fasting for the child and, you know, and, and he says, well, you know, maybe I can reverse this and maybe I can turn God's mind around it. And David knew something about praying to God and asking God to do something. But God's word was adamant when he told him the child should surely die. And the child was born. When the child was born, David went to prayer. And those next few days were, were in hours that he had were some of the hardest moments of his life because he was praying as if all things depended on his praying. And yet God did not reverse his decision against the child. You say, what kind of God is that he would take a child's life? Hey, I'm comforted by one thing tonight. As we read chapter 12, I'm reminded, if we go to verse 23, I'm reminded about one thing tonight. A lot of times people ask the question, what happens if we're born with a sin nature? What happens to a baby if a baby dies? What happens to a little child until the conscience is developed and it reaches the age of accountability? And I'm comforted tonight, and you should be comforted tonight, verse 23, when David said this, that now he is dead, wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? And notice David's phrase, I shall go to him, but he shall not come to me. And David gave, had great comfort in the fact that he knew that the soul of the child was taken care of. There was eternal security. He says, he shall not come back to me, but I shall go to him. Hey, I got some great comfort for you tonight for many, many parents and loved ones. And we've had a few in our church. We've been by the bedside. And we've been at the graveside. We're little babies that were born premature, little babies that did not make it through a surgery or whatever. We've been there just by the size of maybe from, not even the size of my, the tip of my finger to my forearm there, being there for the service and just a little shoebox that little baby's been buried in, watching that we could give comfort to the mother and father that we, the child will not come back to us, but one day we will go to that child. 
But along the way there, David had to deal with the fact that God was chasing him. God was humbling him. God was using these things in his life there. A little boy went out to a little pond. And the pond had a place where it was just a little bit too deep for the boy because he couldn't swim. He had a little toy boat that he made out of wood and he put a little sail on it and he started blowing on and blowing on and blowing on it and the little boat started going out there and it got a little bit too far out, out of arm's reach for the little boy. We couldn't reach that, 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 uh, that little boat there and he got a little anxious because the boat was just kind of stuck there on the lake there and he didn't know what to do and his mother wasn't there and his father wasn't there and he didn't have any siblings there and he didn't know what to do and he saw a little older boy, much older boy, about a, a young teenage boy, about 14, 15 years of age there and he turns to the little boy out of desperation. He says to the, the, the older boy, he says, Listen, he said, hey, can you help me? My boat I made out of wood with a little sail. I blew it too far. It's way out of my reach. And if I wander out there to where it's at in the middle there, I might drown in the water because I can't swim. Could you help me? Would you do something for me? And that older teenage boy looked and said, sure, I can help you out there. I'll get your boat back there. And he gave him a smile. And the boy picked up one and around there. And he gathered a whole bunch of stones and round pebbles and stones. As he did so, he looked at that boat and he took careful aim. And he started to throw those pebbles, but he didn't hit the boat. And he started throwing those, those pebbles or those round pebbles, those round stones, and he did so. He aimed it so carefully that he made it just bounce over the boat so it would create, would create some ripples. And at first the little boy looked and he says, but how could you be so cruel and so mean? I asked you for help and now you're trying to aim to sink my boat there. And he started to complain and the teenage boy said to the little boy, don't get upset, just wait for a minute. And he carefully took aim and he threw stone after stone after stone. As he did so, every stone was carefully aimed. So then went over the little toy boat and as it landed and hit the water, it created a ripple. Each ripple brought the boat closer and each ripple brought the boat closer <clears throat> and then the little boy started to realize hey this teenage boy really is here to help me and he watched he was setting uh, stone after stone and ripple after ripple it started to bring the boat closer and closer and closer and finally the boat came within and within arm's length reach for the little boy and he reached out and he grabbed that boat and he was so happy for that teenage boy's help there I remind you tonight, chasing is God's way, putting ripples in our path. Sometimes God has to put ripples along the way that kind of shake us and move us. And those ripples are meant to bring us back to shore and bring us back close to the Lord. Hey, chasing was never meant to push us away from God. Praise the Lord. Chasing is meant to bring us closer to the Lord. But you notice one last thing we're done, and that's our theme tonight. David had a private concealment. And David had a personal confrontation. And David made a penitent confession. David had a punitive chasing, but here's the part I love so much tonight. Did you notice tonight David had a purifying cleansing? Would you notice in between, go back to 2 Samuel 12. Between verses 13 and 23, between that period of time, the Lord having worked in David's heart, we have the inspired record of Psalms 51. In Psalms 32. And sometimes we have this mindset that we only read Psalms 51, we only read Psalms 32 when there's sin. Listen, that needs to be a part of our life always because he starts up, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy tender mercies. How many believe tonight that you need God's mercies every morning? Amen. We're not for the Lord's mercies. We'd be consumed. Amen. I mean, I don't know about you. I need his mercies even more now at 60 years of age. I need his mercies more now than I've ever needed before. We need God's mercies on our life. We need God's mercy in every detail of our life. We need mercy. Why? Because we're deserving of justice, not mercy. And do you notice, go back to Psalm 51, but you notice a few things about David's prayer. And we're almost done tonight. You've done so well this evening. Do you notice in Psalm 51, we don't see David's confession, but notice we see David's requests. Would you notice and give attention to me tonight for just a moment at words and phrases David uses to ask for God's cleansing in his life? For instance, would you notice in verse 1 and verse 9, notice what he says. He says in verse 1, blot out my transgression. He says, white it out. Verse 9, he said, blot out all my iniquities. Notice what he used that two times. He uses the phrase, wash me two times. Notice in verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Notice if you would, verse 7. In verse 7, he says, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hey, you know, David wasn't content with just a quick fix. Amen. By the way, confession cleansing is not a quick fix. You said, Pastor, how much time did he take? I think he spent all day with God here. I don't think this is a quick fix prayer. I think this, this psalm we're reading here, it was an all day, all night prayer that David spent with God in. Wash me, blot out, purge me. Notice something else there. Notice he uses the phrase cleanse me three times. Notice in verse 2, he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Notice in verse 7, again, purge me with hyssop. 
and I shall be clean. Notice in verse 10, he says this, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Notice he says, blot out. Notice he says, wash me. Notice he says, cleanse me. Notice verse 7, purge me. Notice he says, renew me two times. In verses 10 and 17, he says in verse 10, he says, create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. In verse 17, the sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a contrite, a broken contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. Look at it again in verses 10 to 13. In verse 10 to 13, David intensifies his prayer. He says, create me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Hey, do you get what's going on here with David as we read through that? David is recognizing life has to stop right here and now. It has to stop here so that there's correction in my life. God has chastened me. God now is working my heart. I've got to have thorough cleansing. Wash me thoroughly. Cleanse me completely. Create me a clean heart. I don't want to blot. I don't want any sin. I don't want any of these things in my life. Look what he's asking for. And all of this praying in verses 10 to 13, he's asking for removal. He's asking for restoration. He's asking for renewal. He's asking for revival. He's asking for rejuvenation. He lost his joy. He lost his enthusiasm. He had, he just was not at a place he was at many years before when he wrote Psalms 23 and Psalms 27. Now he's at the place saying, God, I want to get back to that place where the joy of the Lord is back in my life. And listen, praise God, he got it. Amen. And you go to Psalms 32, would you notice this tonight? David had a spiritual breakthrough after he prayed that prayer. And I want to declare to you that he got his joy back. I want to declare to you he did get a clean heart. I want to declare to you that the power of the Holy Spirit came back into his life. I want to declare to you, according to verse 13 there of chapter 51, he, he got back to place. He said, then will I teach transgressors thy way, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. He said, listen, I got the soul winner's heart like I needed to have. But notice verses 1 and 2 of Psalms 32. It starts off by telling us this is a masculine psalm. This is a teaching psalm. Blessed is he, and he's talking about him. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. He's using the very same words we find in Psalms 51. But he's saying, number one, my sin is forgiven. My sin is covered up. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and whose spirit there is no guile. And he says in verse 5, For I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and he and thou, thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Listen, David got the place. We got restoration, forgiveness, and cleansing. He said, cleanse me. He said, wash me. He said, blot me. He said, purge me. He got all of that. He got cleansed that, that, that day with God. Go back to Psalm 51. I want you to see one more thing. We're almost done tonight. Notice in Psalm 51, verses 10 and 11, please, with me for just a moment. David, as the tears are flowing from his face, he says, create in me a clean heart. I understand when you haven't washed up for a long time, it's a wonderful thing to take a shower. Amen. You know. You've been working on the car, working in the yard, and your hands are all dirty. You got junk underneath your fingernails. Isn't it a wonderful thing after you cleanse your hands? Why isn't it a wonderful thing when your hands are clean, your fingernails are cleared up? David said, more important than that, I've got to get my heart cleaned up. I've got to get right with God. Notice what he says here. Create me a clean heart, O God. And notice this next phrase. Renew a right spirit within me. Would you notice something tonight? If our spirit is bothered. And we're quick to casting judgment. And it's like I said this morning. We don't have a positive perception. Like Paul did when he was imprisoned. You know what that suggests to me as I read Psalm 51.10? We haven't made a full confession of our sin. We haven't let go. And a lot of times, our biggest sin is not sins of the flesh. Our biggest sin is sins of the spirit. There's a self-righteousness. There's a pride. There's a conceitedness. There's area. Listen, you cannot ask God to cleanse you from sins of the flesh and think that's just it if your spirit hasn't been washed as well there too. And you notice in verse 10, he says, Lord, please help me. He said, renew a right spirit within me. Christian friend tonight, can I ask you a question? How's your spirit tonight? How's your spirit tonight? How's your spirit towards others? How's your spirit towards your marriage? 
How's your spirit towards your children? How's your spirit towards your parents? How's your spirit towards your pastor? How's your spirit towards other church members? And sometimes we go off here and we get off on these tangents and we think if this happens there, it's going to happen over here and all these kind of different things there. Hey, you know what? Sometimes we get to the place that we think we're, we're an island all by ourselves. Listen, I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter what you think. It's just like Elijah got the place. He thought he was the only man standing. God had to rebuke him. He says, hey, I want to remind you, there's 7,000 haven't bowed their knees. And I remind you tonight, we may think we're the only one standing, but you're not the only one standing. I remind you tonight, if there's ever, ever time we have to examine our spirit, we have to go to Psalm 51.10 and say, Lord, renew a right spirit within me. And notice in verse 11, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Hey, here's the litmus test. says, if, if there's no fruit, there means that not only there's no root, but it also means the fact that there's something that's dirty there. Hey, listen to what Jesus told uh, Simon Peter. He told him in John 13.8, Peter said, thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus told him this. He said, if I wash she not, thou hast no part with me. And I remind you today, if there is not daily cleansing and daily forgiveness and washing, listen, we have no fellowship with the Lord that we can rejoice in. The Bible tells in 1 John 1, 7 to 10, when we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, listen, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And by the way, as we consider the matter of truth, notice in Psalm 51, verse 6, what David said, this is a great thought here. He said, behold, thou desireth truth in the inward parts. Don't talk about truth if it's not in our inward part. He says, thou desires truth in the inward part and in the hidden part. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. There once was a little boy who had a bad habit of lying. He couldn't stop telling lies. He told lies after lies after lies. That's what his father took him. He said, son, you're a pathological liar. Your lying is bad. He says, son, I've got to teach you a lesson. And the boy was scared, not knowing what his father would tell him. He says, son, I'm going to teach you a lesson. He said, go outside the backyard, son. And the son thought he was going to get a whipping. And instead of getting whipping, his father says, you see that board over there? This is kind of like a, like sometimes some of you who have cat or cat owners, you've got a lot, lot one of these poles where your cats can go to, to kind of, you know, relieve their claws and things like that. He had a pole that he put inside there, inside, outside there. He put, he put this post pole there. He said, son, here's what I'm going to do. Every time you lie, I'm going to pound a nail into that post. He says, because I want you to understand how terrible your lies are. And the son didn't think much of it. And after several days, the father said, son, I want you to come outside. And he came outside and the, and the son was horrified as he saw this post was filled with just nails. The son had committed lie after lie after lie. And the father, every time he heard a lie, he took that nail and nail and he posted it in there and he posted it in there. And the son felt mortified that this had happened. But the father in pity and compassion looked at him and he said this. He said, son, I know that you feel bad about what you're doing. But he said, but what can I do, dad? What can I do? He said, this is a terrible thing. And this is what the father, the father said to him. He said, son, ask God to forgive you of all your lies and then start telling the truth. And he says, you start telling the truth. Every time you tell the truth, I'll pull a nail out of there. Well, guess what happened to the boy? Once he saw those nails, he got on a track where he wanted to start telling the truth. Instead of telling lies, this boy, there was a change that was happening in his life because he asked God for forgiveness and he asked God for power. By the way, sometimes we think we're too weak. God's power is able to overcome our weakness. So the boy started telling the truth. As he did so, his father would go every time after he told the truth, he would go to that post. He'd take, his, he'd take the backside of his hammer and he'd pull a nail out. Several days went by and finally he took his son outside and the son went outside and he looked. He said, look, son, there are no more nails. But the son started crying. As the son started crying, he started weeping. Tears come down his face. He said, son, what's wrong? He said, dad, I understand. I'm so thankful. God, forgive me. I'm so thankful that all those nails are out. But dad, I want you to notice something. Dad, even though there are no more nails, the scars of the nails are still there. And I remind you tonight as we close this evening, Jesus in his hands and his feet bears the scars of where the nails were. Never to be forgotten that He paid the price for all our sins. Jesus died on the cross for sinners. God commendeth His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, that means this, we deserve to go to hell for our sins. Even though we were sinners, Christ died for us. Praise God. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Remind you tonight, never forget the scars. Never forget the scars. 
Never forget that there was a nail that was driven in there for you. And there was a nail driven in there for me. Never forget those scars that Jesus endured it all for you and me. Don't live with private concealment. God has spoken to us through a personal confrontation. The Lord calls on us tonight for a penitent confession. And the Lord calls on us tonight to be the recipient of a wonderful, purifying cleansing tonight. Two things this evening and I'm done. Number one, as brothers and sisters in Christ, David had to come so contritely and so honest before God. May we come tonight with an honest heart and consider the context of Psalm 51 with 2 Samuel 12. The essence of David's words were, cleanse me, O God. Cleanse me, O God. Cleanse me, O God. We're ineffective for God if we're not cleansed. We're not washed. We're living in self-righteousness. We're living with that kind of thing. Secondly, tonight, may all of God's people come tonight, first of all, and say, God, cleanse me. Because let us not dare approach the Lord's table as the members of of Heritage Baptist Church. Let us not dare approach the Lord's table with dirtiness in our heart. Secondly, may I encourage you tonight, if you're not saved, and I know there's some people here tonight, you may not be saved. You've never come under the blood of Jesus Christ for cleansing for your sins and forgiveness of your sins. He loves you. He wants to forgive you your sins. He wants to wash those. And by the way, tonight, he can wash away those sins. We took one of our soul winners out yesterday and was helping one of our soul winners learn how to go soul winning. Went to see a family that had come to our church one time before. And I heard about this family back in 2015 after a terrible, terrible car accident. Left the husband in a paraplegic condition in a wheelchair and just going through intense therapy. But in spite of all that, just a good spirit. These people have been, were ready for us to come. And as we went there, we got to explain the gospel to multiple members of that family. As we did so, I'm thankful that yesterday, a man and his wife who had never accepted Jesus Christ, they weren't sure what it meant. They understood for the very first time that the plan of salvation means God wants you to be saved. God wants you to go to heaven. God wants you to have your sins forgiven. Listen, after about an hour and a half time, after explaining the gospel, since some time answer your question, a husband and wife said, I want to get saved. I want to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. And together, both the husband and wife bowed their heads and prayed and asked Jesus Christ to save them from their sin. And I want to encourage you tonight, if you're not saved tonight, today can become your second birthday. Tonight, you can be settled that heaven's your home. You can be settled tonight that Jesus can prepare that place for you. If just today you'd ask Jesus Christ to save you, He can save you from your sins. He'll wash away your sins. He'll forgive you of all your iniquities. Listen, you become a child of God. Listen, you have the gift eternal. It's yours. It's guaranteed. All you've got to do is pray and ask Jesus to save you tonight. So I invite you tonight, Christian friend, Let's come with the same heart that David did with a penitent confession. And and friend here tonight, if you're not saved, I invite you tonight. This church loves you. We want you to get saved. We want to receive Christ tonight and be saved today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes, if you would, please. I wonder if the heads bowed eyes. How many? I wonder what Christians tonight, the Lord's spoken to us that we need to come and spend some time at the altar tonight. Would you come? Would you come right now? Would you not delay and say, Lord, you've spoken to me tonight. There's some, there's some things I've got to do biz with. How's our spirit tonight? There's something God needs to wash. There's something God needs to cleanse. We're not going to take time to sing tonight. I just want you to take some time. Would you come tonight? Would you just be honest with God? There's some things we need to deal with tonight. There's some unresolved conflicts. We have to deal with some unresolved. Would you come tonight? We don't need the music because the spirit of God has spoken. Amen? Let's just come tonight. Let's be real with God. Hey, folks, you're coming. What are you waiting for? Let's come. Come tonight. Come to Calvary for that cleansing time. And then tonight, if you're not saved tonight, can I help you to get saved this evening? You're not 100% sure you're going to heaven. You've been relying on religion. You've been relying on good works. You've been trusting yourself. Can I ask you tonight, would you just realize tonight God loves you and he wants you to get saved. He invites you tonight to be to receive Jesus Christ, his son, as your savior. Here's what you can do. You know God wants you to be saved. Listen, you're a sinner. Christ died for your sins and rose again from the dead. And Christ wants you to be saved tonight. Here's how you can be saved. You can pray a prayer just like this. But it must be your words. It must be from your heart. It must be with a heart that's genuine. You can pray this prayer and say this. Dear God, I confess tonight. I'm a sinner who needs to be saved. I believe that your son Jesus died for my sins. and That he rose again from the dead. I take Jesus now to be my savior. To wash away my sins. To allow me to become a child of God. And to give me the gift of eternal life. If you prayed that prayer tonight, I hope you'll take time and come see me or one of the pastoral staff members or one of our deacons see us tonight. 
And let us know you prayed that prayer. We want you to have the assurance of your salvation. We want you to know for sure that you're saved. And going to, And if you're not saved, I want you to come tonight so we can help you to get that settled up tonight. Father in heaven, in a moment, Lord, as we extend the invitation, help us to come like David did with genuineness and contriteness. And Lord, with a penitent confession and realizing tonight that, Lord, we need a purifying cleansing. We need a washing cleansing tonight. Please help us tonight. We're not coming to impress people because even like David, he didn't do that. He said, Lord, blot out my transgressions. He said, Lord, purge me. He said, Lord, wash me. He said, Lord, cleanse me. And tonight, Lord, we come before you this evening realizing we need cleansing and washing, a thoroughness, all of our iniquities, all of our sins, all of our heart, all of our spirit tonight that be made right before God. And then he said, Lord, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. That may be some tonight they've lost your joy. It's not a joy to serve Jesus. It's not a joy to come to church. It's not a joy to read the Bible. It's not a joy to pray. Help us to find that joy today, tonight, not by doing works, but realize tonight we find that joy by coming for purifying, cleansing tonight. Lord and Holy Spirit, I pray there be no inhibition on our part, but it's a great desire, no restraint on our part, just a desire to be honest and truthful with you. You desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden parts. Thou shalt make us to know wisdom. Father, have your way tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. The piano is playing. Would you stand tonight? Several have come. Would you stand tonight? If you need to come tonight, we invite you to come. The invitation, the altar is open to us to come. God lovingly receives us tonight. You're not sure you're saved. We invite you tonight to get saved. We invite you tonight to trust Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Would you come? Folks, you're still coming. Would you come tonight? Don't you feel like tonight we need a purifying cleansing? We need to get cleansed from our sins and our iniquities. Come tonight. Come tonight. Don't be restrained. Don't hold back. Don't quench the Spirit of God. Come tonight. Let the Holy Spirit have His way. Would you come tonight? So many things the Lord speaks to us. Whatever God put on our heart tonight, let it be known to God. Private concealment, but there can also be personal confession. Let's do that tonight. Thank you for being sincere tonight. And if you're not saved tonight, I invite you to get saved tonight. Please don't leave church tonight without making sure that you're going to heaven. Let's make sure tonight that you're saved, that you settle with God, your need of salvation. That we must have repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ tonight. Now, Father, tonight, thank you for what we've heard and we've read tonight. Thank you. This very, very, very just very sobering chapter of Scripture. And yet, Lord, a needful one. And one that speaks is about something we need every day. Thank you for cleansing. Thank you for a cleansing of heart and soul, a clean heart and clean life. Now, Lord, as we prepare to approach the Lord's table, we do so, Lord, not with irreverence and not with a haughty spirit and not, Lord, the spirit of self-righteousness, but the spirit of gratefulness that Christ died for all of our sins. Now, tonight, as we take the Lord's table, prepare us now that our hearts be ready as church members. And we pray for this now, Lord, of you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated for a moment. Let me give you a quick explanation for all of our church members tonight. And by the way, we're just thankful.